This month on Decompliance Live, I visit with Wendy Badger, CCO at Tenant Company, on her fascinating journey to the CCO chair. First, a quick message, and we'll be right back. The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again for another series on The Compliance Life. Today, I'm thrilled to have with me Wendy Badger. Wendy is with the Tenant Company as CCO. She has had a really interesting career, and we're going to explore that career, its twists and turns, and how it took her to the CCO chair. So, Wendy, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me for this month's series. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Tom. So, Wendy, as you know, this podcast series talks about and details one CCO type's uh, journey, both into compliance and to the CCO chair. So I was wondering if we could maybe start with uh, your academic background and your early professional career. Sure. We'll, we'll go back a, a few years ago. Um, so I went to, knew very young that I wanted to go to law school and had it in my head that I was going to be a prosecuting criminal attorney and found very quickly in my first year of law school that that was not the right path for me. So I shifted course instead of focusing on a litigation style of training. I shifted and said, you know what, I am going to focus on the subjects that they test in the bar exam, because once I pass that exam, A, I never have to do it again, hopefully, and B, I can specialize after that. So that was somewhat of my focus when I was in law school, though I did take a variety of courses and also did a civil advocacy clinic where I had the very unique uh, opportunity to take a case all the way from the briefing to an oral argument at the Minnesota Court of Appeals. Um, which most certified student attorneys don't get to do uh, just because their advocacy clinic goes one semester. So that was a very unique opportunity. And I found that I did enjoy that type of advocacy work and tried to think about, you know, how could I apply this to a more alternative type career? So once I finished with law school, um, I was fortunate to get a job before I finished law school, um, and I found a position at an international trade association based here in Minnesota. They had a a posting. This is back in the days where you went to the actual um, career services center and paged through job books and then printed off your resume and mailed it to the the hiring manager. So um, it was a few years ago, but got the the opportunity um, to interview for that job, even though they had posted that they wanted someone with about three years of experience. And here I was not even graduated from law school yet. So um, had a, a great opportunity to interview for that position. And as someone who was the first in their family to go to college, never mind an advanced degree. This was all uncharted territory for me. I mean, when I started 
undergraduate school to get my bachelor's degree, I didn't even know what office hours were when, you know, professors were saying, oh, come visit me for office hours. I thought, what is that? How would I do that? What would you even talk about? So didn't have that kind of, you know, background going in, but was fortunate to interview for that role with that trade association and did ultimately get the job offer. So I was fortunate that um, I was employed before I finished law school. And then the organization did me an a very large favor and gave me essentially the entire month of July off so that I could uh, study for the bar exam uninterrupted. Fortunately, passed on my first try and then was really able to dive into the work at that trade association. And that's really where I found very early my love for compliance. Because in that trade association, I was working with their members to help them understand without giving them legal advice to help them understand the laws and regulations that they were subject to in their very niche field in the accounts receivable management world. So I I found this passion for helping them understand, well, here's what the law says, but what does that mean? How does that translate? What do we need to implement? How do we need to change our practices? And so then what? You know, and, and so I also became a huge advocate for them to document what it was they were doing and why they chose to do it that way, particularly if they felt they weren't in full compliance and not that they were cutting corners, but that practically speaking, it was not possible for them to be able to do a certain thing. So they took a risk-based approach. And I made sure that um, they understood the importance of documenting that. So with that, I also had the unique experience of, you know, that they were, the trade association was still an employer and still had all of the things that they needed to do as an employer, whether it was from their own employment law type of, um, processes and procedures that they need to put in place or just the running of their their business. So I had this unique opportunity to get this really niche understanding of not only the industry of the association, but then also the inner workings of a small nonprofit organization. And so in part because of that, um, they were very lean. We ran lean and um, didn't have a ton of staff. So as I got my feet under me, I was able to be promoted very quickly and take on a lot more responsibility. So within my five years, I was promoted three times and ultimately ended my role there um, almost five years to the day that I started. And when I left there, I was not only managing tons of compliance information, but I was also the, the director of one of the membership divisions. And so I took all of that experience and I thought, I can go help companies do this even better. So I took that experience and then I moved in-house um, to one of the, the association's member organizations, also based here in Minnesota. And I found very quickly that um, they had never had an in-house attorney before. And so I realized very quickly that they maybe didn't so much need an attorney to do the things that they thought they needed. What they needed was structure and framework. And all of those words to me scream compliance, right? You need a structure, you need a framework, you need a process, you need controls. And so that's what I helped them build. Everything from their licensing and bond requirements in all 50 states to uh, really building a structure for what policies and procedures do they have drafted and what controls do they have in place? Are they 
auditing any of these controls? Are they monitoring? They had a call center, multiple call centers. Were they monitoring what their phone agents were doing and how were they doing that? So I helped them to build all of those structures. And then once that was in place, we realized they didn't really need me to sustain that. They needed help to build it. And then once it was built, it was sort of self-sustaining. So I decided at that point that I could help multiple organizations do that, not just one. And that influenced my decision then to go into private practice. And so let me, yeah, let let me see if I can pick up a couple of points because I found them significant. Number one, the bar exam was the worst professional experience in my life. So (laughs) I'm with you on that. Did you sit in gum on your first day of the bar exam too? Because I did. (laughs) No, I didn't do that, but uh, it prevented me from ever leaving the state of Texas with the, the fear of having to take another uh, bar exam. Uh, but yep. number two, uh, my father was the first person in his family to go to college, and uh, I'm not sure people today really understand what a huge deal that is. Um, one of my wife's, my wife's from England, and one of her nieces Uh, got a a college degree, and she was the first one in the extended family, and my 90-year-old dad wanted to fly over just to honor her for doing that. So, you know, kudos, and that is such a big deal uh, for a lot of families uh, in the United States. But then I was really intrigued by when your work um, at the Trade Association Mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. Um, One was the, the terms you use, structure and framework. When I came out of the corporate world, I found I had a passion for exactly that, uh, but I called it the nuts and bolts. Mm-hmm. So there is such a need and and still, I think, wide variety of, of room for people who really enjoy just what you said, the structure and framework. And I found that to be as fulfilling uh, achievement in the corporate world as, as really any other's. And many people don't see it that way. They see that, well, you know, I'm a lawyer. I do cool stuff. And building blocks, structure framework, nuts and bolts, that's not cool. But I've always found it to be cool, so I'm I'm really intrigued. Why did you find it to be so cool? Well, I would completely agree with you that it is cool. Um, And and I just want to take a moment to go back to one of the things you said about, um, you know, being a first-generation college student. You know, my sister went to college before me, but she, her life took her in another direction. And she ultimately ended up leaving school, starting her family, and then going back to school uh, once her children got a little bit older. And she ultimately went on to get her master's and is doing amazing things in her own right. Um, So I wasn't the first to go to college, but I was the first to graduate. Um, but my sister only went for about two years and then that's when she dropped out. I shouldn't say dropped out. She took a hiatus is maybe a better way to say it. Um, and she's two years older than I am. So right as she was leaving is when I was starting and her experience was very different than mine. But what I do want to say about that is, um, just kind of give a shout out to my parents because they always emphasized for us the importance of education and, in line with what they've really taught us that that affects every area of my life and which is kind of the motto that I try and live by, which is leave it better than you found it and do better. And they wanted us, um, my siblings and I, to do better than they did, whether that was 
in, you know, their career advancement or their education or, you know, whatever the case may be. So those were the, the, the things that they really taught us that, that stuck with us even to this day is leave it better than you found it and, and do better. And so that really drove me through my, my career because um, I worked outside of school the whole time I was in both undergrad and law school. And that adds a whole nother level and layer to the stress and the pressure of everything. It's not like I just got to study whenever I wanted to. I was also working because, you know, we, we couldn't really afford it. And I was there on, sco- on partial scholarship. So that whole pressure is also very different from someone who is able to more easily afford it. And I might've changed my career, not my career, but my, um, how I approached college, I might have done it a little bit differently in hindsight and knowing what I know now. Um, like I might have, for example, gone through a post-secondary education option where um, in Minnesota that means the state pays for you to go to college while you're still in law school or while you're still in high school and then you've already got college credits to your uh, to your name and I probably would have started at a community college and then transferred to a larger university just to ease the transition because I went from a very inner city high school to a very conservative, private, um, religious university. And it was a bit of culture shock. Um, whereas my niece, she did that post-secondary education option that I mentioned. When she graduated from high school, she also graduated with her associate's degree from college and then transferred to a school in California and ultimately got her bachelor's and only had to pay for about two years of college. So she did it way smarter than I did. But I like to think that she's a little bit standing on my sister and my shoulders, learning what, you know, and applying what we wish we would have known and done that she then did go and do. So anyway, leave it better than you found it is is kind of what I'm trying to say. But you're right about the structure and framework. And it is totally cool. And I credit that probably more to my um, not to give away all my diagnoses, but I'm, um, I have some pretty, um, obsessive compulsive tendencies. And so that's, that structure and that framework and that organization speaks the same language that I do. Like my whiteboard is, um, at, at my office at work is color coded and, and very structured and and very um, neat and tight. And so I think that's what speaks to me is that structure and that framework and seeing how once you build those things, if we do our jobs well, the litigators have way less to do because we've done our job well. So it's that preventative piece that I think is really cool that you can't really, you can't prove a negative so to speak, but I know I have helped organizations, whether it was when I was at the trade association, when I was in private practice or any of my in-house roles, I know I helped them avoid risk and liability and lawsuits and, and helped leave it better and make it better than it was when I got there. So that's what I think speaks to me. Wendy, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for part two in our four-part series this month, where we're going to take a look at your moving to the law firm and your subsequent career steps before you get to sit in the CCO chair. So I look forward to continuing the conversation. Me too. Thanks, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take up another episode in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. 
If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.